Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this time. We have come to the preaching moment where you, in your um, sovereign order, Lord, have chosen to speak to us in this way. This is how you have ordained it. And Lord, we gather for this. We sing praises to water the soil of our hearts for this. Father, let this be seed for the sower. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Matthew chapter 5, and we just have one verse, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When Jesus preached this sermon, this is the Sermon on the Mount, he was uh, is delivering to us the way. Now, you're going to hear me say that a whole lot over the next however long it takes to get through these three chapters. This is the way of righteousness, the way that leads to life. You know, there is a way that seems right unto man, Proverbs tells us, but that way ends in death. The way that leads to life, Jesus says, is hard, and there are few that find it. The times and the cultures were different when Jesus preached this sermon. Circumstances that people faced were somewhat different when Jesus preached this sermon. But one thing wasn't different. People were not different when Jesus preached this sermon. There was an awful lot of death in Jesus' day. A whole lot of death when Jesus preached this sermon. It was not uncommon for mothers to lose children during pregnancy and childbirth. That had not changed for hundreds of years, hundreds of years before when uh, Israel hadn't even become a people yet. Jacob's wife, Rachel, if you remember, she uh, died giving birth to Benjamin, who had become one of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. Israel as a nation was born in the sorrow of death. In fact, you were one of the lucky ones if you hadn't lost a child or a sibling way too soon. Death was a huge part of living back then. It was, just, it was just part of life. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying, uh, when I say this, I'm not saying that, that people don't die now. I'm not saying it's not a part of life now. It certainly is. People still die. That has not changed. All right? We still deal with it. We just tend to live a whole lot longer these days. Uh, and, you know, we can owe that to uh, advances in medicine and food production, you know, graces of God in those areas, sterilization, uh, other technologies that we have that God has graced us with. For the most part, most of the people that we know, when we lose them, when they do finally go on uh, and pass from this life, it will be at an appropriate, not altogether unexpected time. Now, certainly there are painful and notable exceptions for those who have gone way too soon, and, uh, you know, we lost them very unexpectedly, and those things, those situations bring deep sorrow, and uh, they are very difficult to bear, and I'm not, not trying to make light or downplay the reality and the weight of those circumstances at all. That's a very real thing that we we deal with in very real tragedies that we still face in this world. But even for those people who face those sudden losses and those 
those losses that are unexpected and soon or too soon or tragic, even for those people who face those, generally speaking, most of the other people in their life that they know, when they go, they will go at a time that is appropriate and not altogether unexpected. And I'm not saying that we're sitting around waiting on people to die. We're not counting the minutes and just saying, okay, well, it's time for you. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that when, when most of the people in our lives, when they pass away, they pass away at a stage in their life when we generally expect those kinds of things to happen. They're, they're at that stage. Do you know, you know what I mean? Um, it's just not, it's not at a stage when like we're... So that, here, here, so that when they pass, we, we have feelings of thankfulness. I mean, there's sorrow for sure. We mourn the loss. There's always sadness there because there's a pain of loss. That's very real. But that's also accompanied by feelings of thankfulness for the time that we had, thankfulness for the life that they lived. They had a great long life, a fruitful life. So, you know, it's a very different feeling when someone dies at an old age versus someone who dies too soon or, or at a young age. It's a very different kind of, kind of sorrow. Very different. Um, and I'm saying all that because it, it informs our thoughts, or rather our, our lack of thoughts, about eternity. The way that, that we have the way that that we have to face death, or that we don't have to face death until an appropriate time, it informs our lack of thoughts about eternity. If you, you look at Christian music over the last 50 to 100 years, I mean, really, even the, just the last 50 years, you're, you're going to find the remarkably, remarkably few references to heaven compared to Christian songs from, you know, 50 to 100 years ago. Amen. You can go to church hymnals from 100 years ago, and you'll find in the church hymnals 100 to 150 songs that directly deal with heaven and eternity. If you go and you pull a hymnal from 1990s, you will find maybe 11. Maybe. And that's in a church hymnal. And that's our blessed hope. That's the whole point. And the reason, I mean, forget just <laughs> forget the stuff that is published today in 2020. Forget that. Under the label of Christian music. I see my wife shaking her head at me. Let me just say this about Christian radio i got to do it. It's a pet peeve of mine. You cannot have Christian music without Christ. Worship is sacrifice. It is not about you and what you get out of it. It is about the one who died for you. So the next time you're listening to the Christian radio and the latest Christian music, it would do you well to listen to what they're actually saying. Words matter. Back onto my back. Let me get back on track here. There's been a shift in the lyrics of songs, even in the hymnals, the hymnary, over the last hundred years. And that has to do with the fact that we haven't had to face death the same way that they did a hundred years ago. They used to be more and more about eternity because they had to face eternity. They kept losing people, losing loved ones. If the diseases and sickness didn't get them, then hunger got them. And if those two didn't get them, then the wars took them. Amen. Amen. 
You can see it in their songs. They faced death, they faced great pain and great sorrow, and they needed the great hope of our blessed hope, the great hope of heaven to get them through. So they wrote songs about it and they sang about it to get them through. Death stings. For those who have no hope, death stings. And it leaves a hole where someone used to be, especially, especially when they are taken away from us at a non-appropriate, inappropriate, unexpected, too soon time. And I want you to understand who Jesus is speaking to when he says, blessed are those who mourn. And what their experience with life is, what their experience with mourning is, what their experience with death is when he says that. I want you to understand that. There probably isn't a mother in the crowd who hasn't already lost a child or more when he says this. Or a sibling or more when he says this. There are husbands in the crowd who have watched their wives die giving birth. The love of their life dying, giving birth to the life of their love. And the crowd is full of them. They've lost their loved ones to starvation and overwork. They've been living under Roman occupation, so people have been tortured and they've they've lost them to cruelty. They've watched them waste away to disease with no relief because they don't have medications like we do. They don't have sterilizations like we do. They know sorrow. They know death. They know what it is to grieve all the time. So much so, they have professional mourners. It's it's part of their society. It's part of the economy. They have people who mourn professionally. They know mourning. They know sorrow. They know it with such an immediacy and a consistent presence in their life like most of us will never experience. We got it easy. And really, when we think about, when we hear the phrase, blessed are those who mourn, when we hear the term mourning, that is really what we, we connect it with death. That's really what we think about, isn't it? We connect it with mourning over those who have died. And that is what, that's, that's exactly what they would have done. When Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, that's what's in the front of their mind, mourning over the dead. Mourning over the loss of someone's death. And when Jesus said those words, it would have pierced the hearts of so many of the people there because they were so very well acquainted with the death and the sorrow that death brings. And it should pierce your hearts as well. It should pierce your hearts, dear brothers and sisters, in an even more profound and deep way. The people in the crowd at Jesus' sermon would have had the mourning of the death of their loved ones at the front of their minds when they heard this, but it would not have been until much later that they realized that Jesus was talking about mourning over something else entirely, something greater, something far more permanent than physical death, something far worse than sickness or hunger. Now, there are many reasons that that we know this. 
But there's one in particular that stands out at me. Now, there's some time later after he preaches this sermon in Matthew chapter 8, around verse 21, we see a man coming up to Jesus, and uh, the Bible calls him one of the disciples, which means that he's already a follower. He's already among the crowds that have thrown their lot in with Jesus. He's already been drawn in. He's already been convinced. His mind is already made up. The man comes to him and he says, Lord, in Matthew 8, verse 21, he says, Lord. He calls him Lord. So he's already acknowledging his lordship. He says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, no, follow me. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. Clearly, Jesus is not interested in mourning those who are only physically dead. Now, don't get me wrong. He has great compassion for our loss. He shows that over and over and over again in the Scriptures. But His mission, His message is much bigger. Amen. And our mission and our message is much bigger. Look at the words that Jesus used. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now that should strike us as odd because dead people don't do anything. Amen. Dead people don't bury anyone. So clearly he does not mean physically dead people. Right. He means spiritually dead people. Yes. Leave the spiritually dead to bury their own dead. Now why their own dead? For the one who believes and hopes and trusts in Christ, though he dies, yet shall he live, and therefore death has no sting. Therefore they have no own dead. Death are not their own. The only possession we have is life. Though we are dead, yet shall we live. We don't bury dead people. <laughs> you ever thought about that? We just commend them to the Lord. How tragic is it for those who do not have hope in Christ? Amen. Amen. I have thought about that in funerals. And I, I pray I never have to preach a funeral for someone who is, uh, is not saved. I don't know how to do that. I really don't. I don't know how to do that. There, I don't know how to get up there and say, oh, there's, I, you, there's no hope for this man. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. To be without hope, to be apart from Jesus Christ, to be lost in sin and condemned for eternity, how woefully sad. Is that not cause to mourn? Forget the state of his body. Who cares about that? That's what Jesus said. Don't, don't be afraid of who, whoever can kill the body. Be afraid of the one that can destroy the soul. Amen. That, dear ones, that kind of death, that kind of loss is all around us. Amen. The death of the soul. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and your sins. And of course, the Apostle Paul very famously reminds us in Romans chapter 3 verse 23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
So, my Christian brothers and sisters, when you look around you, your heart should break over the sea of dead people. Dead men walking. Who don't have to be dead. That's the tragedy. They're dead in their tomb. And they don't have to be. Turn to John chapter 11, if you will. John chapter 11. I want to take you to a place of mourning in the scriptures. This is where we see the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, there's a whole lot we could cover in these 44 or so verses. And there are so many things we could look at. One of the things that I have to keep reminding myself when I'm going through these passages is that I can't cover everything in one sermon. <laughs> so today I just want to focus on what we can learn from this account about the power that lies in Christian mourning in the Great Commission. Christian mourning for the Great Commission. Now, to give you fair warning and to uh, give myself some um, a little bit of license, we'll probably come back here, not to this passage, but back to Matthew 5, verse 4 again, because there's, there's more to cover there. Um, but we're hitting this angle today because <laughs> like, I can't put it all in one message, right? Amen. Here we go. To give some background to those who, have not, who don't, aren't familiar with this story, Lazarus is dead, and he's been dead for four days. Lazarus was a great friend uh, of Jesus and his sisters, uh, Mary and Martha. He lived with them. They were all very good friends. Jesus loved them very much, and they loved Jesus very much. And now Jesus and the 12 disciples have traveled uh, the time it takes to travel to get to Bethany, which is where they lived. And they've come to Bethany, and they're outside of the village of Bethany. And Martha has heard that Jesus is there, and Martha runs out to meet Jesus outside of the village. And that's where we're going to pick up reading in verse 21. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes or who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, I want to stop there. I wanted to, to read this section because this is an important aspect of what it means to mourn as a Christian. We mourn and we weep with hope. Amen. Or to put it another way, we do not mourn as ones who have no hope. 
Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Our tears are tears of hope. And that can only come from the joy that we ourselves have come to know in the life that we have been given in Jesus Christ. The life that we now cherish in Jesus Christ. The life that is secure in that serious and solid joy because it is grounded on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. He is our hope and there is no other. Martha tried to defer that hope to a later day. She said, I know that he will be alive. I know that he will rise again on the day of resurrection. But Jesus said, no, Martha, not on another day. I am here. I am the resurrection and the life. He said, no, no, you don't have to wait until another day, Martha. We can do this right now. You don't got to put it off. You don't got to wait until some future day because something greater is here. Something greater is now. Church, something greater is here and something greater is now. The resurrection and the life is here and now. Can I just tell you we spend way too much time praying for people's bodies and not enough time praying for their souls? If that hits you the wrong way, please don't take it as a dig. I mean it in love. Our lives are just vapors. Mm -hmm. And that is infinitely more concerning than these momentary afflictions. We pray more about cancer than we do about salvation. Oh, we should still pray about cancer. Mm -hmm. But does the cancer patient know Christ? I don't mean does a cancer patient go to church. You'd be amazed to know how many people go to church that have no idea who Jesus is. I mean really. They might know who he is, but they don't know him. They're not in love with him. I mean, do they end their prayers with, I love you, Lord. I love you so much. Is that part of how they pray? Change me. Teach me how to love you the way you want me to love you. I was just praying this morning. I don't know. God, help me to love you that way. I can't do it on my own. It just broke me down. I can't, I don't know that I have the strength to love you the way that you want me to love you. Show me, teach me, empower me to do it. Do you love him like that? We ought to be praying for people's souls. Amen. We ought to weep for their souls. Jesus stands ready to give eternal life to those who would believe. Christians weep with hope. Absolutely. We mourn with hope. Amen. We do not mourn as those who have no hope. We weep without blaming After this exchange that Martha has with Jesus, she runs back into the village to get Mary. It's interesting that Martha was the one that was cumbered about with many things, yet when Jesus comes, she's the first one to go to meet them. Mary's the one that stays in the house. The Bible says she sat there unmoved when she heard that Jesus came to town. 
She was mad at him. But she was the one when Jesus was visiting, she was the one that sat there at his feet. Remember, she's the one that chose the better part. She was the more emotional one. She's the one that was just basking in all his glory, but she's the one that was mad at him now. We're going to see that here in a minute. Anyway, after this exchange with, with Jesus, Martha goes back into the village and she tells Mary that Jesus wants to see her. She wasn't going to go see Jesus until Jesus had made an overture to her first. So Mary goes out to see Jesus and all the people who are at the house, all the mourners, they all get up and they go with her. When Mary gets there, we pick up in verse 32. Now when Mary comes to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, which is a familiar place for her to be, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And this brings us to a warning for many of us. We have a great tendency to cast blame upon our God for our own troubles and our own sorrows. Why don't you fix this, Lord? Why did you let this happen, Lord? We assume a whole lot of entitlements from God because He has blessed us so much already. It is an absolute mercy and an unbelievable kindness that we aren't already totally consumed by the fire of God's righteous and holy wrath. He upholds the universe by the power of His Word. It is only because He wills it that earthquakes haven't swallowed us up. Only because He wills it that tsunamis haven't washed us away. Or even that our own sun hasn't released deadly planet-killing radiation. Only because He wills it. Every second that we exist is a gift. And we come to Him with entitlement like Mary. Every breath we take is a gift. Every heartbeat is a gift. And so we assume that we are entitled to the next one and the one after that because we've been given so much. You ever met a child that has been given so much and so they assume that they're entitled to what comes next? Boy, that's a hard entitlement to break, isn't it? That's a hard attitude to break. We saw that, if you recall, when Martha came to meet Jesus. She, she bursted out with that same sentiment. Lord, if you had just been here, he wouldn't have died. But it's like one of those emotions that just kind of escape, and when you say it, you wish you could take it back. She said that, but then, then she, she kind of withdrew it. She said, but, but I know even now that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. If you had just been here, but I... But wait, I, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me back that up a minute. I know that, that, that she backed it up. I know that she challenged it in her own heart because of how Jesus responded to Martha in a different way than he responded to Mary. Look at what he said to Mary in the next verse, verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. So the phrase deeply moved in the Greek is the word... Um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Forget it. Um, It literally means to rebuke or restrain one's spirit. That's the literal English translation. Um, You can see that when it it follows it up with greatly troubled. This is not a, a, he's not sorrowful here. 
is actually, it, uh, the connotation is annoyed. Uh, if you have an ESV Bible, it'll, uh, English Standard Version, you'll have a footnote that says indignant. He's kind of annoyed. Um, so it doesn't mean that Jesus was sad. Uh, it has a connotation of being angry over some kind of injustice. Um, so he wasn't sad or moved with compassion. He was bothered, perhaps maybe even a little bit agitated over it. So it grieves the Lord. To use the same language that the Scripture uses, it, it troubles the Lord when we lay blame at His feet. Amen. Amen. That's what she did. That's what they did. You can see it in the other in the verses that come, come afterwards. Isn't this the one who can open the eyes of the blind? Why didn't He save him? Amen. It troubles the Lord when we lay blame at His feet. It grieves Him. Our mourning should come without blaming, so we cry without pointing fingers, church. And then we pick up in verse 34. Our weeping is for the lost. Turn our focus now to Jesus himself. Jesus said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Here Jesus stands as our example. So much has been said. So many reasons have been given for why Jesus wept. Can I just tell you that human emotions are complex? They're myriad, they're numerous, complicated, a lot of things going on. The text does give us a couple of clues. First, let me say, this is mourning. Jesus is mourning here. He's not shedding tears of anger or joy. These aren't tears that accompany anguish or pain. These are tears that come with sorrow and lament. But again, human emotions are complex. And there is a whole lot going on here, both on a personal level for Jesus, between Jesus and his friends. You know, his dear friend is lying in a tomb. He's been dead for four days. There's a whole lot going on there, and he's grieving over it. His other friends are, are grieving over that, and he sees their sorrow and their pain, and they're even blaming him for it. And he's, he's dealing with all that. Then there's the larger kingdom issues going on. And he sees all that, the issues of unbelief and issues of doubt. And here he is standing as the, the Lord and, and the Son of God and the, and the righteous King. And he knows what he's going to have to do, not just right then in that moment, but coming forward and the, the death he's going to have to die and the resurrection and all of that. And all of this is coming into play. Amen. Jesus sees all of it. He's looking at it through the eyes of a human being and through the eyes of an eternal Savior and Lord all at the same time. Amen. Wow, the complexity. And he's having to deal with it as a man. So where they see a body that's lying dead, Jesus knows that he is about to show them what life in him really means. Not just life after death, but life everlasting. This is what life Without me, that's what that looks like in the tomb. This Now let me show you what life is going to look like with me. There's dead in the tomb, now life with me. Though you die, yet shall you live. He knows all of this. He sees the big picture. and I, I, So I want to take my cue from the few words that come before we see the, the verse that says, Jesus wept. They say, Lord, come and see. 
And then we see that Jesus wept. He had to go and look upon the place where Lazarus lay dead. Jesus, who is life, he said, I am the resurrection and the life, had to go and see his dear friend in that terrible state. And so he wept for him. And we weep for those who are dead in spirit. Don't you know if, you are, if you're in a good position and you have a life that is good and you are in a, a solid situation and you see someone who you love and you care about and, and they're, just, they're just at the bottom of a pit, don't you know you weep for them and you cry for them and you know that they're doing horrible things and their life is in, in a terrible situation and you've got it good. I wish you could come out and be with me. Don't you know you cry for them? They said, Jesus, come and see. And he saw and he wept. I wonder if you know someone who is spiritually dead. Do you know someone who's made all the wrong choices and satisfied all the wrong desires? Someone who serves the God of self and sitting from the vantage point of life. You can look and you can see the deadness in his heart. Because you know what it is to be alive and you know what the light is. You know what it is to live in the light of Jesus Christ and to carry salt and to carry light. And you can see darkness. You can see death. You know what it's like to be over there and you just weep. You want to know what it is to test your heart and know if you're truly redeemed? Do you weep for the lost? Can you sit at the table and eat and get fat when they starve? Weeping leads to working, and working requires faith. Verse 38, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Church, it's not enough for us to cry. Proverbs tells us that hope deferred leaves the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. It's not enough for us to mourn. We mourn with hope. And our hope calls us to action. Jesus said to roll away the stone. This is the man, Jesus, who's telling us to roll away the stone. This is the same man who cursed a fig tree and it withered instantly. This is the same man who calmed a sea and walked on water. This is the same man who said that if you say to this mountain, be it cast into the sea, it'll be done. And yet, he told someone else to roll away the stone. He doesn't say or do anything without a reason. And even now, there's a lesson to be learned. There's a reason that Jesus said, I will build my church, and then he gave us the keys to the kingdom of heaven. There's a reason that Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me, and then he said, now you go and make disciples. Why in the world would he have someone else go and roll away the stone when he's the only one capable of doing anything about the person who is dead in the grave? 
It's so that our mourning wouldn't stop with mourning. So that our crying wouldn't stop with tears. It's so that our mourning would lead to working. Our tears turn into trials. Oh, it's all right to weep, but let joy come in the morning. And let joy turn into work. Let's get to work. We've got graves to open, church. We've got stones to roll away. It's not easy work. It doesn't smell good. It's messy. It takes a whole lot of faith. The stone is heavy, but we've got to do it. Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I say this on account of the people who stand around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands bound and his feet bound up with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Someone wept for Lazarus. Someone wept because he was lost, because he was dead. Someone had hope to cry out to Jesus on his behalf. Someone did the hard work of rolling back the stone to let the light in, even though it might stink, even though it seemed like a lost cause. Lord, he's been dead four days. Someone mourned enough to not let him stay the way he was one more day. Church, there will be a day when there will be no more sin and every tear will be wiped away. There will be a day when there will be no more cause to mourn and all of our sadness will be turned into joy and there will be no more weeping for us and no more sorrow for us. A day when we will, God will give us, Jesus will give us the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Amen. We will set aside the spirit of heaviness and we will clothe ourselves with the garment of praise. Every burden will be set aside and there will be no more crosses for us to bear and there will be no more stones that we have to roll away. No more graves to have to pry open because they'll all be open. And all the work of your tears and all the cries of your heart, you'll be able to see the fruit of your labor, all of the lives that you've touched. Every one of them will be there and you'll know exactly what each one of them cost you. You'll know exactly the price you paid for every one of them that is standing there next to you. You'll know that it was hard work, all the hours that you put into it, all the phone calls that you made, all the questions that you answered, all the setbacks that you had, all the frustrations that you had, the time that you spent, the, 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 the questions and the hours and the money that you spent, the bills that you paid, all of the effort just to roll back those stones. Just to roll it back. Such hard work. Pour yourself out like a sacrificial drink offering into each and every one of those lives for their sakes so that they could have the same salvation that you have obtained. It is such hard work and you know it. You know every minute that you spent. The stone is heavy that lays against the tomb. And the work is dirty and it stinks of death. Yes, sir. And he 
stand there. And there are times, there are times in your life when you had to hold your breath along the way. You had to step away to even catch your breath because the stench was so bad. But you knew that life out here was infinitely better than, than the death in there. And you couldn't bear the thought of it. You couldn't bear the thought of that friend, the friend that you have, to stay dead in there not one more minute. Or your son or your daughter to stay dead in there one more minute. Or your friend or your brother or your sister to stay dead in there not one more minute, rotting and stinking in there one more minute than they had to. And you just, you just couldn't bear it. So you, you took a deep breath and, you, and you, you, you did all you could and you dug your feet into the ground and you pressed your shoulder into the stone and you pushed. Because you just couldn't bear it. And then there were times when you thought, I just can't do this anymore. It's not worth it. It's thankless work. They don't get it. They don't know what I'm doing. I'm giving it everything I've got. I'm trying to give them the scripture. I'm trying to tell them the truth. They don't know that what I'm doing is loving them. Amen. Amen. I'm just, I'm trying to love them and all they're doing is rejecting my love. I, I'm trying to give them the truth, God. And they just, they turn me away. The stone is so heavy. And it stinks. I'm getting dirty. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's thankless work. Then you remembered what it was like for you when you were dead in that tomb. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And someone rolled it away for you. Amen. And they let the light in. And you saw the light of the sun for the first time in your life. And you took in the breath of life. Yes. Yes. And you remembered... And you tasted life and your heart is broken for those who are lost in sin and death. And so you put your hand back on that stone and you pushed with all your might until your back gives out and your hands bleed and you push. The church, there's a breakthrough finally. And you roll the stone away. roll it away Amen. and you can see it you can see you can see it you can see the stone moving you can see it and it's moving you can see the light getting through I'm getting through to him I'm getting through and there he is there's Jesus he's standing waiting and he says come forth and you watch enjoy as he calls your loved one out of the tomb. And there are very few joys that compare to that joy. Amen. Amen, brother. And so what do you do? Amen. What do you do? Amen. You dust your feet off. You clean your hands up. And you go and you do it again. And you do it again. And you do it again for that one and for that one and for that one and for that one all over again. And on that day, they're all standing there. And you look and you see them and you know it. You know everything you did for all of them. And they know it too. They know it too.
And what's really remarkable is that standing there, knowing every last bit of that, knowing all the work you did, all the, the hours and all of the, the pain, because it's sorrowful work. There's a lot of weeping that goes into it. We, there's why we mourned. There's a lot of work that goes into this work. Knowing all of it, that not for one millisecond will you or any one of them even think about taking any credit or any praise for any of it. Because he is the one that calls the dead back to life. And we will have all eyes on him. Praise be to God. For all of our work, and it is good and righteous and necessary work, it is fruitless without him. We can... We can open graves all day long, but Christ is the one who calls the dead out of the tomb. We must do our work to proclaim the kingdom. And if we don't, they will not hear. And if they do not hear, they cannot believe. That's what Paul said. How can they believe if they have not heard? And how can they hear if we do not preach? Brothers and sisters, we ought to mourn those who don't know Jesus as Lord. More than we mourn those who die in this life. This ought to be a present, ever-present sorrow for us. It to drive us to do something. This is why we preach. We ought to mourn them. And what greater comfort can be found than when Christ calls the spiritually dead into eternal life? Because then death truly has no sting. That's why we share the gospel. That's why we lay down our lives for others in so many, many different ways. Do our hearts not break for them? Do your hearts not break for those who don't know Christ? Should we not weep for them? Who are you praying for? Who do you mourn for? Who do you know that is still dead in the tomb, lost without Jesus? Who are you working on to roll back that stone? The Lord has said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I mourn for the loss. I mourn for my family, for my friends who don't know Jesus. I mean, who don't cherish him. I have a lot of friends and family who know him, but they don't know him. They know of him. And I look to the hope that if I will do the work that he has called me to do and I'll roll back the stone, one day he will say, come forth. And I will be comforted. Amen. And oh, what joy. What joy. Can we pray? Amen. Blessed and holy God, I ask you now to do something in our hearts that might seem odd. Lord, I ask you for a blessed and holy heaviness 
I ask you to give us a sense of sorrow for those who are lost. Lord, help us to mourn in a way that is godly, in a way that moves us, in a way that brings us joy for what we have in you, in a way that gives us compassion for what others do not. Help us, Lord, to shed light for others. Help us to be those who roll away stones. Give us strength to do it. The work is hard. It requires faith. Strengthen us in our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you. I love you. Thank you, brother. Thank you.